Let's ask God's help, and then we're going to jump into this. I'm going to tell you what, folks, this is going to be some good stuff. If you grab a hold of the truth that's here, this is something that's going to really help you, especially as many of you, not all of you, but many of you are really thinking towards that God has called you into ministry, probably even full-time ministry. Many of you are thinking that way. Some of you might not, and that's okay. Um, but, I, but whether you go into full-time ministry or not, this is some truth that's going to really help you. Okay, so let's pray. And then uh, we'll get into it. Lord, thank you so much for, um, for our time that we're going to get to spend in your word. Holy Spirit, these are the words that you have inspired. And so we're asking you to illuminate us and help us to understand them. I pray that you would provide conviction where there needs to be conviction. Provide comfort where we need comfort. And I pray that this, uh, this would just be a time that would lift us up and get us excited about what you can do. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the uh, things, Mark chapter 9, of what has just happened at the beginning of Mark chapter 9 is an event called the Transfiguration. How many of y'all have ever heard of the Transfiguration before? Good for you. Put your hands down. So the Transfiguration um, was, of course, you had the three disciples. They're up on this hill with Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus was transfigured before him. I don't have time to get into this now, but I'm just telling you, the word transfigured is the same Greek word where we get the word metamorphosis from, which means this, Jesus at the Transfiguration actually changed changed form into what? He changed form into whatever he's gonna look like in the coming kingdom. I'm gonna tell you what, that would have been a place to be, to have seen what Jesus would have looked like in the coming kingdom. And these three disciples, they get to observe this, and can you imagine just what a wonderful time this was? But you know, Jesus and his disciples, they didn't stay up on the mountain, they came down off the mountain, and when they came off the mountain, they were confronted with human needs and the darkness of their enemy. Can I tell you something, young people? God doesn't want you to always be dwelling on mountaintop experiences. You know why? Because he wants you to get off the mountain and touch people who have needs. And that's what he wants from you. He doesn't want you always just stuck in Bible college. He wants you flushed out at some point. He wants you to get down off the mountaintop and get out and touch people in their needs. And so he is gonna, and so Jesus and these disciples are about to confront someone who was underneath uh, uh, the, um, the control of our adversary, the devil. So let's see the situation here. Mark chapter nine, verse 14 says, and when he, that's Jesus, came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. So you got, so catch the scene. We got Jesus and the three disciples coming down the mountain. We got the other nine down there. There's a crowd that is formed and there are scribes. The scribes are one of those opponents of Jesus. And there is a, it says the scribes were questioning the nine disciples. Well, the, I don't know, that word kind of sounds like, oh, you know, uh, you know, Bartholomew, I am the learned scribe. May I ask you a question? You could kind of help me. That's not the word questioning. The word there is the word for debate. So there's a debate going on that's happening down here, and Jesus walks up on this. Verse 15 says, and straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, beheld Jesus, it says they were greatly amazed, and running to him, they saluted him. So the crowd gets excited because uh, they probably enjoyed seeing this new young rabbi who can school these scribes who always are you know, oppressing them with, these, uh, with their rules and such of what they had and their, uh, and their uh, really these scribes and their anti-Bible uh, teachings. And so it says in verse number 16, Jesus asked the scribes, what question ye with them? So Jesus says, what is this debate about? And in this crowd, there was a dad who cared nothing for the debate 
and pushed his way forward in verse number 17, and it says, one of the multitude answered. You know, this would be pretty um, um, brave on, on the dad's part because, this, uh, because the question from Jesus was asked to the scribes. He says, what are you questioning? What are you debating about? And instead of letting these learned scribes answer, the dad doesn't care if he gets ostracized. The dad doesn't care if he gets uh, excommunicated from the, from the synagogue. The dad pushes his way forward and says, Master, I've brought unto thee my son. What does he say? He's, what was wrong with his son? He says he has a dumb spirit. So what exactly is that? Well, the word dumb there simply means mute. It means he couldn't speak. And we get a little more picture of it in verse 18 where it says, wheresoever that the spirit takes my son, wheresoever he taketh him, it says that the spirit teareth him. So more than likely, I mean, I mean I'm sure that what is going on here is we're looking at some kind of demon possession. That this spirit that has taken over him is a demon, a force of evil. And, uh, and so this demon, it says, is take, the dad says, he's taken my boy and he's tearing him apart. It says he foameth, he gnashes with his teeth. It says he pineth away. That means sometimes he'll be thrashing around, foaming at the mouth. Then he pineth away. He goes stiff as a board at different times. It says um, uh, that, that these things were happening. Luke chapter 9 says that he was given to sudden screams, that this demon was literally crushing him. And the Bible says in verse number 18, the dad then says, Basically, okay, my boy, he's, he's oppressed with a demon. And in verse 18, he says, I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. And it says, and they could not. Okay, now, let me, let me start by telling you this. When I first read this, I was thinking on this. My thoughts were, this, were these. You know, I thought, well, you know, dad, go easy on the disciples, you know, uh, because, you know, these guys, they're not, um, they're not Jesus. You know, they're kind of a, they have some experience with, uh, of course, being with Jesus, but they're not Jesus. I mean, this, you shouldn't be putting such kind of a pressure on them. By the way, can I tell you something, young people? The dad did the absolute right thing to bring the boy to the disciples, I'm going to tell you something. Some people think, uh, or even might use this as a good preaching point and say, well, you know, you just got to get him to Jesus, brother. Y'all just got to get him to Jesus. And that, you know, that'll get you an amen. But can I tell you something? The dad did the absolute right thing to take the boy to the disciples. You know why? Because Jesus wasn't there. People ain't much deeper than that. Jesus wasn't there. But you know who was? His students, his disciples. And so he brought them to him. Now, maybe you say, well, maybe the pressure shouldn't have been put on them to have to heal this boy of a demon. Oh, no, 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 no. Jesus had authorized his disciples to cast out demons. Flip back just maybe a couple pages to Mark chapter 6. In Mark chapter 6, in verse number 7, it says, And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them what? Power over what? Unclean spirits. You say, well, Jesus gave them power, but did they actually cast out demons? Glad you asked. Okay, go to verse number 13. It says, and they cast out how many devils? Many. In other words, on the evangelism report, I just imagine the disciples getting back after this, and they're all sitting around a campfire talking about all the experiences they had of seeing people healed, of seeing people saved and all that. Do you know what it says how many devils they cast out? Many. They stopped counting. Whoa. 
So it wasn't like, oh, just, you know, in one isolated incident, Andrew, like, cast out a, de- a demon. He was like the cool disciple when everyone got back. No, no, no. These disciples had cast out many demons. And so it was absolutely right that the dad had brought the boy to the disciples because Jesus was not there. And Jesus had authorized these men, the disciples, to cast, uh, give them authority over evil spirits and to cast out demons. Can I say this, young people? You know, you and I, let's bring this to you and me. You and I are going to be brought to us, brought to us are going to be brought people who they probably won't be demon-possessed, but they will be trapped by the lies, by the deceit, and by the darkness of our adversary. And these people are going to come to you looking for help. I'm going to tell you what, you could be real uh, preachy and say, well, I just got to get them to Jesus, brother. Now listen, you know why, you know why they came to you? Because Jesus isn't there. You know who he's left and authorized to help them? You. That's who he's left. Now, in this passage, the disciples failed to help the boy. Why? I think that's a good question to ask. Why do they fail? By the way, it's the same reason why when people, uh, when people bring, uh, you know, or when people come up to you who, have, who are underneath the lies and the deceit and the distractions and the, and the grasp of the devil, why do we fail in helping them? Same reason. We're going to look at it here. What was the reason why the disciples failed in helping this boy? Look at, go back to Mark chapter 9 and look at verse number 19. Jesus answered him and saith, now he's talking sort of to the dad, but then he addresses his disciples. Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation. You know why the disciples could not cast out the demon? You know why they couldn't help this boy? Jesus says they were faithless. Less. Now, let's understand that word. Um, now, uh, with, uh, how, let, me, let me start by asking this. When you were in high school, well, probably more like, maybe more like junior high, elementary school, how many of you ever had to do vocab class? Anyone ever had to do vocab class? Oh, wasn't it awful? You know, um, prefixes and suffixes, remember those words? Those were like bad words, you know, because they would say, okay, you know, if you, I was homeschooled, you know, mom's like, okay, you got to memorize these prefixes and suffixes. I'm like, they all say the exact same thing. Okay, and the quiz comes and it reflects that it shows the exact same thing because you got them all wrong. And so that's vocab class. And I'm just, oh, but hey, can I tell you something? For the first time in your life, vocab class is finally going to apply to your life. We're going we're gonna to use it right now because what it is here, this word faithless is actually the Greek word here. It, the Greek word here is, the, is pistos. It is the word for faith. It's just simply the word for faith. And what is the idea of, which it's translated, by the way, this Greek word, if you were to follow it through your New Testament, you'll find so often that it is translated, this Greek word pistos, is translated as either faith or believe. Okay, all throughout your New Testament. And so what's that gonna look like? So what does the word mean? The word pistos, if you were to kind of break it down, because I like simple, short definitions, the word pistos has the idea of to trust or to depend. So, so for example, that's why it's so important, like if you were to share John three sixteen with someone, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever what? Dependeth. 
Some people take the word believe, they just say, yeah, I believe in God, and maybe you've gotten stumped by that saying, oh, I don't know what to tell them. That's because the Greek word is the same Greek word, and it means to trust or to depend. If people are gonna be born again, if they're gonna know Jesus as their savior, they've gotta put their trust, right? They've gotta put their dependence, 100% dependence on Jesus alone to save them from their sins. And so you know what this Greek word is here? <coughs> it's the word pistos, ready for this? With an A in front of it. Technically, Greek letter alpha. So what happens when you put a prefix A in front of it? You know what it does? Well, it's kind of like this. Um, do you know what uh, theist is? T-H-E-I-S-T. Do you know what a theist is? What's a theist? Do you know? Someone who believes in God. How many of you believe in God? Anybody out there? Oh, good. Thank goodness. Put them down. All right? So that would technically, that would make you a theist amongst many other things, okay? You say, well, I'm an independent Baptist. Good. You believe in God. You also are a theist, okay? Um, but what happens if you put an A in front of the word theist? What do you have? Hey, what's an atheist? Someone who does not believe in God. So you know what we have here is we have the word trust or dependence with an alpha in front of it, which means this. You know why Jesus said they couldn't help the boy? There was no dependence. It wasn't because they didn't know enough Bible. It wasn't because they hadn't spent enough time in Jesus' uh, Bible college. It's because God says there was no dependence. By the way, he isn't saying there with the word faithless. He wasn't saying your faith was small. He wasn't saying your faith is weak. He was saying there was none. Because when it comes to dependence on God, it's either you're doing it or you're not. We are either depending on God 100% or we are not. You know, when it comes down to like uh, salvation, if someone was, if you were to ask someone, hey, do you know Jesus as your savior? Do you have eternal life? If they were to say to you, well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm putting my dependence on my good works, everything that I can do, and whatever I can't do, I'll just trust that Jesus can just kind of kick in whatever I can't do. You would say, oh, you are not saved, Right? So why is it then in our Christian lives that we say, well, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do everything that I can possibly do as I serve the Lord and help people. I'm gonna do everything that I can possibly can to help them and I'll just let Jesus kind of kick in whatever I can't do. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Do you know what that is? That's called self-dependence. Can I tell you something about self-dependence? Self-dependence frustrates our Lord. In verse number 19, Jesus says, oh, faithless, no faith in you generation. Jesus says this, how long shall I be with you? Because we're about, from what I read, about less than a year away from Jesus going to the cross. So he says, oh my goodness, how, I'm only with you one more year. And you're already failing again. Then he says in verse number 19, how long shall I suffer you? People, can I just tell you something? That phrase literally means, how long do I have to put up with you? It's, the, it's a phrase that people say when they're frustrated. Anyone have anyone who frustrates you? Raise your hand. You have someone who frustrates you? Now point. Okay, yeah, okay, good. Um, yeah, so there's always, you know, we have people who frustrate us. When Jesus says, how long do I have to suffer you? He was saying, you frustrate me. You could have helped this boy, but instead of being dependent upon me, you became dependent upon yourself. And in verse number 20, it says that the, Jesus says, bring him to me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, it says straightway, the spirit tear him. So this demon sees Jesus and immediately begins to tear this boy up. It says the boy fell onto the ground and wallowed foaming. And in verse 21, 
Jesus comes to the father and he says, how long is it ago that this came unto him? And the father said, of a child. Now, um, you know, uh, it's very dangerous to say, to start a sentence saying, if I was Jesus, that's a very bad way to start a sentence, okay? But, you know, sometimes I think if I was Jesus, if this boy's coming up, I'm just gonna immediately be healed, you know? But Jesus stops and says, how long has this been happening? You know, if, uh, if someone I loved was having like some kind of a, a heart attack or something like that, and a paramedic showed up, you know, they came in the door, I wouldn't want them asking all about, so tell me about her, the, this person's family medical history. You know, like, no, get your stuff out and do what you're supposed to do. Do your job. And so what you, I remember thinking, why would Jesus do this? Now, there might be other answers that are better than mine, but you know one thing that we're about to find out is that, remember, this boy could not be healed. Why? Because of what? Yeah, unbelief. The, the disciples' self-dependence, their unbelief. So you know what Jesus is gonna do? God loves, can I put this? God loves to honor God-dependence. And so what he's looking for is, is someone going to depend on me that I can heal this boy? The disciples had failed, and so really what he's going to is going to the dad. And I wonder if he was say, seeing, dad, if I let this situation get even worse, will you still trust me? That I can deliver your son. And here the dad says in verse number 22, he says, oft times this demon casts him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Then he says, but if thou canst do anything, he says, have compassion on us and help us. Hey, listen, something's real significant here. Verse number 17, he he pushed his way through and said, Jesus, I brought you my son, heal him. By the time we get to verse number 22, now he's saying, if you can do anything, can I tell you something, young people? Your self-dependent ministry will push people away from the very Jesus you claim to serve. This dad at the beginning believed Jesus could heal his son, but because the disciples were so self-dependent, the dad eventually stopped thinking that Jesus could possibly do it. And he says, if you can do anything, have pity and help us. You better watch out because your self-dependent ministry of your personality and your great preaching and your ability to persuade the crowds and your depth in apologetics, listen, that will never replace God-dependence. It'll never replace it. And if you choose to replace God dependence with one of those, you will drive away the people that you say you're there to help. And so the dad, he, say, he says, help us. And so Jesus says this to him. Look at verse number 23. Here, now, now let's ask this question. If the problem of why the boy couldn't be healed was self-dependence, hey, this is, and this is not a trick question. What do you think the solution is? If the problem was self-dependence, what do you think the solution is to heal the boy? God dependence, yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so in verse 23, watch this. This verse gets ripped out of context and honestly, sometimes we get scared of it and we avoid it. No need to avoid it. Just let's use what we've learned. Verse 23, Jesus said to the dad, unto him, he said, if thou canst believe. Pause. What's the word believe? To trust or to depend. It's the same word as faith. It's that word pissed off. So Jesus says, if you will depend. If you will trust on me, what does he say in verse 23? He says what? All things are possible to him that what? Trusts or depends. He says all things are possible to him who trusts or depends. It's this idea. It's the idea that, um, again, he says, listen, there's gotta be dependence here. It's not um, uh, like we talked about. It's not a 50-50 thing. It's either you are completely depending or you're not. 
You, you know, sometimes we have this phrase we use, and I've really tried to work this phrase out of my, out of my um, speech in this sense. Uh, sometimes people say, well, you know, wh- I, I, you know, when it comes to like doing ministry and helping people and ministering the, the word to people, you know, I got to do my part. What's my part? If, if I'm supposed to depend on God, what's my part? We oftentimes say that. Well, I got to do my part. Listen, young people, can I tell you something? Do you know what your part is? You want to talk about ministry? You want to see God do something great with you? You do all the depending and let God do all the working. You let God do all the working and you do all the depending. That is your part. To, to put your dependence upon him and look out because once you start depending on God, as, as I put here, there is no limit to what God could do because God always honors God dependence. God always honors God dependence. Now, maybe we could just briefly mention what, maybe you ask, well, is there like a limit to this? It says all things, but like, does that mean, you know, because people grab this verse, they say like, well, if you just believe hard enough, then you could, you know, you can get a free car or you could have your, um, uh, your sickness gone or something like that. Now let's, for one thing, let's remember context. Context of this is helping someone else who is under the grasp of the devil. So this is not just some kind of thing we grab and say, well, if you could just believe hard enough that you can get whatever you want. That's not what it's talking about here. But oftentimes we get so scared because um, these TV preachers and all that they have really kind of ripped this verse out of context and destroyed it and made us shy of it. So what is, if if that's, you know, uh, if that's maybe we could say the limit of what God could do through you that he's talking about um, helping other people who are under the lies and the grasp of the devil, what is the extent of what God could do with you? Can I tell you something, folks? There is no limit to what God could do with a God-dependent you. There is no limit to what God could do with a God-dependent you. You know what God could do with some of you? Is you may not be the biggest preacher, teacher, person, thing, person, but boy, you can pray. You know what? God could use a God-dependent prayer to see revival. Because when revival has happened, you read, the, you read your scriptures and you read revival history. You will find there was always a tiny group of people that were not surprised by the revival because they had asked. And I'm telling you what, God could use you and your prayer life to start a revival. Yes, he could. You know, God could use a God-dependent you to start a missions movement in another country where no one else has been. Because some of you, you desperately want God to use you in missions. Listen, I'm just telling you, you might say, I don't know, what can God do with me? I'm not very much. So is the rest of us. But I'm gonna tell you what, you have a God you can depend on. Thank goodness it doesn't depend on you doing your part unless, uh, except for your only part being, you do the depending. And watch what God will do with you. Some of the people who were the weakest people were the ones that God empowered and sent to places and we know their names today. You know why? Because they were skilled? Nope, because they were God dependent. You read through (laughs) Hudson Taylor, you wanna read about someone who was God dependent? Read about him, you'll find out he wasn't the fanciest, prettiest person in the world, but he knew how to be God dependent and God moved mountains for Hudson Taylor. Why? Because he was Hudson Taylor. No, he was a nobody when he was alive. He was a nobody. God will do the same thing for you if you'll actually be God dependent instead of trying to be so self-dependent. Listen, God could use a God dependent you to see a dozen people from your workplace come to Christ. 
Some of you, maybe your plan isn't to go into ministry, but you want to be faithful in church. Listen, God could use a God-dependent you to see a dozen people come to Christ. You say, oh, but Matt, you don't know. My workplace is kind of hard to talk to people, and I'm just not very good at talking to people. There's your self-dependence coming out. I'm going to tell you what. There's no limit to what God could do if you would actually get God-dependent. There's no limit to what God could do with, uh, with you. God could use you and make you into a pastor. God could use you and you could use your love and your counsel to bring a sin-oppressed Christian back into walking with God if you were actually God-dependent. God could use a God-dependent you and use your wealth to finance the next missionary to the Muslims. Some of you, you don't plan to go into ministry. You just want to serve the Lord and you plan on maybe doing a business and such. Look out, God just might end up blessing you with wealth, which is not a bad thing. And you know what God could do with a God-dependent you is if you said, God, will you shower me, if you will shower me with wealth, I will send missionaries as fast out there as I can possibly get them out. God could do a lot with a God-dependent you. Uh, God can use you to move your family to a remote town where you maybe partner with a church planter. God could use a God-dependent you to take a tragedy from your life to make thousands of Americans seek the Lord. There is no limit to what God could do with you. All things that are within the will of God are possible to him who fully depends on God to do it. But notice, (laughs) faith sometimes struggles. We struggle with depending on God, don't we? The dad did. Look at verse 24. You ever been confused by this verse? It makes sense now. Verse 24, straightway the father of the child cried out, and he said with tears, Lord, I what? I trust or depend. Then he said what? Help thou my my self-dependence. In other words, he says this, Lord, I'm depending on you to do this, but God, come through for me because, oh, I want to go back to being self-dependent. You know what we call that? We would call that faith. You say, well, how do you know that, it was, that was faith? Okay, spoiler alert. The reason why I know it was faith is because Jesus is about to heal the boy's dad. So there was, there was dependence in there. But it was what you might call a shaky faith. And I'm gonna tell you what, your, your experience in depending on God, you might, you might say, boy, I, I get to do it a lot. I've, I've depended on God for a lot of things. I'm seeing God do all kinds of things in my life. Praise God. Maybe you're one of those people that you say, good night. I have been, oh, I've been so self-dependent. I've been doing this in my own strength. I just try to be clever. I just try to come up with the coolest sermon and just try to force it down their mouths. I thought that was gonna get them. I just thought if I had the coolest, uh, the coolest uh, things, I would be able to convince the children that they, that they need to get saved. It's just not happening. I don't know. I, I'm just so struggling with trusting God. Listen, so did the dad. But God can change you. If you change the dad, he'll change you. So that you become more God dependent. Even should it be a shaky faith. I, I remember um, one of the things I get to do during the summers is I get to travel. Uh, during the summers, I get to do Bible camps. Revival meetings throughout the school year and summer camps during the summers. Uh, Bible camps during the summers. I love it. How many of you ever worked at a Bible camp before? Raise your hand. Isn't it great? Isn't it awesome? Yeah, so, um, uh, so that's one of my favorite things to do during the summers. And actually, um, one, of the, one of the camps I was at, had a, they had a massive zip line. How many of you all been down a zip line? Anyone been down one? Yeah. This one was, um, it was like a 62-foot tower that was up in the air. And, uh, and so this was the zip line. It was pretty cool. It was a pretty, um, pretty uh, good, um, good-sized zip line. You know, some of them, Sometimes you go places and they're kind of short, like, that was it? Okay. This one was a long one. It was a long one, tall one. It was great. So uh, I was preaching a week of junior camp. So, you know, all the third through sixth graders, you know. <laughs> um, hey, let me tell you, I love the junior camp. It's just some of those juniors, counselors, aren't some of them special? They're just, 
Yeah, yeah, what a blessing. And, uh, but anyway, we were having a good week. I mean, we saw kids get saved that week. I, I mean, it was great. And um, I was, of course, me, uh, I like to, uh, I don't like the campers to have all the fun. I want to get in too. And so, uh, so one of my things to do is I want to go do all this stuff. So I'm, I'm in line for the zip line. So I'm getting my harness on. And I get all strapped in. I've done, I've done zip lines before. I did them when I was in high school. Love them. And so, uh, and so I'm getting all in the, in the harness, and I go wait in line because you got this big old tower with the stairway going up. So I'm waiting in line, and I'm waiting. <laughs> and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it's just like, y'all, what, what is going on? It is taking forever to, to go up this thing. And so when I finally started getting towards the top, because the line took forever, got towards the top, I found out why the line took so long. Here's what was happening. When these kids were getting all strapped in, you know, of course, they've got people who have been professionally certified, and they're there, and they're doing, you know, check, 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 down to the bottom, check, check, okay, everything's good, and the guy pulls back the, the gate and says, there you go, go ahead, and the kids go, <laughs> and I'm telling you what, they stand there, and they don't move, and it's annoying, and they stand there, so... You know, so then the rest of us are like, go, 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 go. And, if, you know, you have, you have your different things. You have your orders. Go, just go, just go. Then you turn to pleading. Please just go. Please just go. Then you get to, then you do your, uh, your uh, you try to reason with them. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to just be amazing. And none of these things work with any of these people that just stand there on the edge. I, I mean, these kids were just frightened by, these, by this thing. And uh, I, remember, uh, I remember even one kid that the, the guy pulled the, um, he pulled the gate back and said, go ahead. And the kids, oh, he's standing there frozen. And then eventually the guy at the gate, he says, you know what? You want know to step back a little bit. Let's shut the gate. Then he turned the kid to himself and he said, hey, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. The kid had turned white pale and was about to pass out. And he was keeping him awake. It was, yeah, that's how scared, how many of you are scared like that of heights? Anyone like that, scared of heights like that? Yeah, so, uh, so these kids, I mean, come on. And so uh, eventually he would say to them, do you want to try again tomorrow? <laughs> okay. And so they go back down the tower. Guys, they called it at that camp the walk of shame when you walk back down the tower. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they'd mock one another for it. And um, so uh, I don't think I did. I thought about it, but um, yeah. So anyway, so I'm up there. I'm the second. I'm, there's one kid in front of me. I'm the next one. You know, here's this kid. You know, he's looking over the edge, and it's like, don't look down. Oh, too late, and all that kind of stuff. And and uh, I mean, he tried to sit down and try to like kind of scoot off, and then he like scoot back. He'd like do the leg thing and like come back, and it was just like, come on, man. And I said to the guy, I said to the guy, like, the adult, like, why don't you push him? And um, the adult said, he said, well, under whatever regulations, I'm not allowed to push him. I was like. I'm not an employee. Can I push him? You know, like, can I, can I get him going? And uh, so, no, he said, you're not supposed to do that either. And so finally, I'm telling you what, finally, this kid steps off the platform. And young people, when he stepped off that platform, the harness caught him and rode him all the way down to the end. So you thought he was going to fall off, didn't you? Yeah, yeah no, no, no. Yeah, so, so he said... What's wrong with you? You're messed up. And so, uh, and so he steps off and he rides and the harness catches him, rides it all the way down to the end, just like a regular harness would. And me, I step up there and I'm all excited. He's doing the whole check, 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 check. Yep. And, I'm, and they open the gate. I look down. Oh, that's a long way down. That's cool. Ready, ready, check, check. Okay. Me, I don't step off. I don't slide off. I jump off of zip lines because that's fun. That's kind of cool. And so I jumped up. Guess what happened to me? The harness caught me, rode me all the way down to the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, nice try. Yeah, no. Oh, it broke and I just hung on with my mat. I was doing pull-ups the whole way down. You know, and yeah. No, um, 
So uh, uh, that's not what happened, okay? Um, so I rode down to the end too. Hey, guess what? Do you know, believe it or not, do you know that me and that kid in front of me accomplished the exact same thing? You know what it was? We got down to the end alive. <laughs> we both made it. You know why? We both depended on the harness to bring us there. You know something, guys? I would have, I had what you would call a resting faith. I'd seen the harness work many a time. I knew what the harness was going to do in my situation. So you know what I did? I wasn't scared. I jumped off. This kid had never seen the harness work before. But how do, you say, well, how do you know that he had faith in that harness? He stepped off and he put his trust on it. And guess what? The harness delivered what it was supposed to deliver. Same thing with God. You might be something, someone that says, you know what? I've never seen God do something great with me. I've just never seen that before. Hey, dump the self-dependence and start saying, if I'd start trusting God, who knows what God could do with me? And let's just close because we need to finish here. It says in verse 24, uh, verse 25, when Jesus saw the people coming running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him. Enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead insomuch that they said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come, okay, so yeah, so he arose. So the boy's healed. Now here at the end, notice what happens here at the end. Verse 28 says, when Jesus was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? Pause. Why couldn't they cast him out? Self-dependence. Right. Notice what Jesus says in verse 29. Let me just tell you this. Jesus does not change his answer. Though you might think so. Look at his answer. Verse 29, Jesus says, this kind can come forth by nothing but by what? Prayer and fasting. Now, I don't have time to get into this. And the sentence structure in the Greek, the, the, um, the, the emphasis is on the word prayer. Just trust me on that because we, we're here at the end. Uh, is on the word prayer. So it's the idea of this. God dependence is evidenced by prayer. And self-dependence is evidenced by prayerlessness. Some of you do not pray. And it shows. Shows up in the way you help other people. Some of you planned on coming tomorrow to be a counselor at Rekindle. You're all like, I got the answers. I've been I'm a freshman in Bible college, y'all. I got this thing down. When you know what you should be doing is being on your knees saying, God, I have no idea what could be coming my way. Now, I mean, some of you, is your life not kind of messed up in some ways? Guess what's coming tomorrow? 300 people with lives who are messed up, who need God to deliver them. How awful would it be if God sent 300 teenagers here and we had a whole mess of disciples like us who were all wrapped up in self-dependence? What a failure we'll be. What a failure we'll be in life if we don't learn to be God-dependent.